You are listening to the Global Sales Leader Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Cooper. Every week, we speak to global experts in the area of sales, sales psychology, strategy, automation, technology, behavior, psychology, and so much more there is. And this week is absolutely without shadow of a doubt, another one of my favorites, and it's to do with all the nonverbal communication to build trust, cooperation, and effectively communicating with your clients and also noticing what your clients do, which is also effective in sales. This week is with Dr. Abby Marino. I know you're going to love this. Hello, good morning, good evening, and good afternoon. And wherever you are in this wide, wonderful, beautiful world, you are very welcome to the Global Sales Leader Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Cooper. I'm the sales relationship coach. What does that mean? I think sales is fundamentally based on making the good and long-term relationships with your clients. The old days of just meeting and greeting and then taking the money is gone. You want to build up those long-term relationships with your clients. And today I'm very excited because I'm always very excited because I love what I do with these podcasts because every podcast is different and there's always a different aspect. And I always love to speak with experts in their field. So I have Abby, Abby Marino. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Jason. You were, you came across highly recommended from a previous guest. So um, this area in around uh, behavior and body language and linguistics and the behaviors behind that and how people do stuff and how are they aligned are they congruent but a little bit of synopsis about you before we go deep diving and then i want you to fill in a lot of the gaps that i'll probably miss so i'm just nicking this from your website so you're a scientist and practitioner in the field of human behavior awesome bringing a unique level of experience and scientific scientific validation to your work uh also completed a phd on behavior analysis and psychology you lecture all over the place and you also align with one of the global number one experts joe navario as well so you you're in it really you're in it with the number one experts in the world so i'm, I'm delighted to have you on board so how did you get into this um, that's a good question. Um, I loved psychology when I was in A-level. I found Paul Ekman's work and I fell in love with body language. And then when I went to university, when I was an undergrad, I started working on research really, really young because I, I just knew what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to be a researcher. So I ended up publishing my first paper in body language when I was about 18, 19. And then I, I kept publishing. I started working with Joe at that age as well. And then I was interested in lie detection, which I thought you could detect lies through body language. And then after further study, it became apparent that isn't the case. Oh. But I originally went to do my PhD in nonverbal communication and lie detection. But I ended up doing my PhD in nonverbal communication and cooperation 
because that's really how you get information and that's how you create relationships and that's how you interview by creating cooperation not lie detection um and just through my phd i I fell in love with nonverbals. everything about teaching nonverbals, practicing nonverbals, and implementing it into sales and marketing and i just realized that just being an academic wasn't enough for me i wanted to take my learnings and implement into practice and then after i completed my phd and i was a lecturer i then was um, found by uh, chris hadnagy who offered me a position as the director of education in social engineer so i now take my um, scientific study and research from nonverbals and i implement it into the practice of social engineering uh- what is social engineering just for the audience so they can understand so social engineering is really about um, information security it's if you have say a phishing email or a fraudulent phone call the people on the other side of that call are social engineers they are trying to engineer the human being to get information from them that could potentially be used to um, take money or take resources or take information that could cause them some kind of harm Mm. Um, And what we do is we have our own social engineers who work for us as the good guys. And then we're hired by companies to social engineer their employees and their company to tell them where their weaknesses are, to help them protect against attackers. Mm. Uh, Ironically enough, that's happened to me. Um, I keep getting, I haven't done for a while, but I keep getting spam calls from these cryptocurrencies. Yeah. And they build and they try and build a relationship with you. And they go, Abby, hi, how are you doing? You recently signed up for blah, 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 blah. And I go, no, I didn't. (laughs) Yes, you did. And they're trying to catch you out immediately. And they're trying to get you into a conversation immediately. And um, it doesn't work with me, but I can imagine it works for hundreds of other people. Yeah, huge. I mean, it's one of the biggest security threats. And because people talk about securing the technology, but the human being is the biggest security risk because we are very prone to um, being manipulated and misunderstood. And we make very quick unconscious decisions that will then sway our judgment. And if you can understand how the human mind works and how to sway people's judgment, and a lot of that is with nonverbal communication, then you can get people to do things that aren't in their best interest mm. and kind of bypass their prefrontal cortex and those really secure and thought out decision-making tactics and just get straight to the emotion. Yeah, there's a lot behind that. And uh, the neocortex, which is obviously the decision-making, which is takes the grunt of the information. But if yeah. you can shortcut that, cut that down to a narrative or whatever go straight into the emotions um and that's how people do it uh, manipulate you into doing stuff but i'm really more interested uh that's the dark side of the force let's have a look at the good side of the force and how can we build really good authentic relationships with people and especially people in business because it's all about trust it's all about connection with the other person and showing your credibility as well so what is a really good way of doing that Uh, especially in the sort of the business world and 
because we're on the Global Sales Leader podcast, it's also uh, about connecting with your yeah. um, your clients. So I, I'm glad you mentioned trust because people always talk about, okay, well, how do I build confidence? How do I build rapport? How do I build this and that? And trust is sits within that mm. list. But trust should really be the key focus because judgments of trustworthiness are the first judgment that we make of a person and we make it unconsciously we make it in less than a second of observing their face so that judgment as well it affects the balance of all other judgments so, so what, judge what are those things that you look for in the face first and let, let's build it and filter down and unpeel the young because i'm yeah. because I, I get really excited because i want to know everything at once but i know that's not the way to work but the first impressions that count, and we know it's in seconds. What yeah. are the things that we look for unconsciously? Okay, well, the first thing that we look for is a smile. Um, and this is why you can never, ever underestimate the power of a smile. Because yeah. when we see a smile, um, neuroscience evidence have shown us that oxytocin is released in the brain. And what happens is oxytocin sends signal to the amygdala, mm -hmm. which controls the fight or flight response and says, it's okay. No, this person isn't a threat. So no need to fight or flight. So it helps you relax. It helps you build trust. So that is vitally important. But it's not just positive countenance. Because we know that when people are really positive, we trust them more. Yeah. And we know that people who are smiley, even people that have um, a smile on their headshot versus people who are very serious on their headshot are perceived as more employable and perceived as more trustworthy. But it's also about consistency of emotional expressivity. And this emotional expressivity is, is vital as well. So, for example, if you're talking about a really bad day that you've had and it's really stressful or maybe, you know, you've had a, a family concern. If I'm like, oh, you know, I'm so sorry and I'm still smiling and I'm being really, really positive when I should be showing empathy and mm. sadness that's going to affect my perceived trustworthiness because now it's going to make my positive countenance look very artificial and inconsistent because you want someone to mirror your expressions. So I need to be able to mirror your emotional expressions as well. Mm. Um, so I can show that I'm empathetic by being really emotionally expressive. If you're talking about a bad day, you know, I'm so sorry. It's not, you know, I'm so sorry to hear that that's very uncomfortable yeah. but and it, it sounds like a really silly thing to say you know don't do this but when you're focused so much on i need to be positive i need to smile it's very easy to get inside your own head and forget i also need to be generally emotionally expressive as well as show empathy so practicing and reminding yourself it's not just the smile it's general emotional expressivity that's important yeah and i, I and it is what we say to ourselves as well which yes. makes a massive impact and what actually happens with a lot of people is capturing that moment when you are self-doubting yourself and you are having that internal dialogue uh and as we know it's um the fight or flight mechanism is also protecting ourselves but it's yes. also doubting ourselves as well and we know in this day of the world, it's 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 capturing that moment is to tell us to shut up and change our state. Uh, look, we could go a little bit. I was always told to tell myself to stop 
and start to think about what I'm saying to myself and reposition myself into a better state. But it's easier said than done because yes. our brain is constantly whirring around, at, but it's capturing that. So the five seconds uh, of, of that and getting the smiles, the likability, the trust, which is the Cialdini's laws of uh, consistency as well, which is what people generally do like if you keep showing up the same way. What else is there? How we can make ourselves outside of our head that is uh, likable, trustworthy and connection. So we want to make sure that we are showing confidence because part of trust, one is obviously trusting that that person isn't going to exploit your vulnerabilities mm. and they are trustworthy in general. But another part of trust is competence. If a person doesn't appear competent as much as you like them, you can't trust that they're going to be able to do the job. So there's the professional trust. Yeah. So somebody needs to be confident and showing signs of anxiety, doing lots of displays with their hands like that, lots of really quick movements and making themselves really small is going to affect that trust. So what we want to see is confidence. We want to see people comfortable in their space. Um, and one thing we have found is that open gestures and an open posture is really important for um, perceptions of competence and confidence. But there's a fine line between confidence and dominance. And I think people get a bit confused between which one's which. Yeah. Because they say, well, I need to be confident. So I need to take up loads of space. I need to be as big and bold as possible. And that's how I show that I'm confident. And that isn't true. Being confident isn't about taking up space. That's being dominant. Being dominant is about controlling a space and mm -hmm. saying, this space is my space. And your space is my space too. And I don't mind if I encroach on that. Confidence isn't that. Confidence is about being comfortable in your space. So your movements aren't sharp and big like dominance. They're very fluid. They're very mm. fluid and they're very smooth. And you don't want to be too hunched up and small because the smaller people get like that, that is perceived as very anxious and uncomfortable. But it doesn't mean that you can't cross your arms as long as you are you know, very smooth and confident. And generally able to take up that space without showing, you know, pulling back instantly. So that is yeah. a, a really big um, thing to focus on. I think that I'm thinking of right now, because all these tech companies are losing employees left, right and center. Obviously, Twitter, that, that's another story. Let's not go into that one. But there's a lot of other... There's a little bit of scarcity out there within the marketplace. And I think the yeah. salespeople are really feeling it. Uh, and there's a lot of pressure on them. What's a really good way for them to um, deal with the pressure better and still be relationship orientated with their clients? But as we know, the pressure does loom on us. And it's sometimes very difficult to get that out of our heads, especially when we're connecting with our clients. What is a good yeah. way of getting around that? So we need to show self-efficacy and we need to believe that we can do it because mm. if we don't believe we can do it and we have negative self-talk, we know that it increases our cortisol. So when we go in saying I'm stressed, I'm stressed, I'm stressed, I can't do it. 
it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm. When we have this negative self-talk, we can measure cortisol levels and they're increased, which means we're subsequently going to show more anxious displays because when we have increased cortisol, we show increased self-touching because it helps soothe our nervous system. So before a meeting, what we need to do is say, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. And that, again, sounds really simple. But neuroscience evidence has shown that when we do put on a fake expression of a smile and say, I can do it, it helps to calm the the nervous system. And the facial nerve is in direct communication with the pons. So when we do put a smile on our face, it sends signals to our brain and says, actually, I do feel more positive. When we put a negative expression, for example, furrowing the eyebrows, it sends the opposite signal, which Mm -hmm. is why um, Botox has been used as a treatment for depression because it has this restriction on the furrowing of the eyebrows because the signal between the facial nerve and the palms is so strong. So when we say the way we speak to ourselves and the way we show our expressions doesn't matter, that's just not, that's not the case. We need to first make that choice to say, okay, I can do this. If we go in and don't do that, then we are already setting a negative scene for the Mm -hmm. interaction and we're already limiting ourselves. We have to make sure we are giving ourselves the best chance possible. And the more we practice, the more we feel comfortable in our own space, the more self-efficacy we're going to have. Self-efficacy is extremely important for confidence, but that's something we have to build prior to that interaction and then bring it to our interaction with us. So what happens when there's light shining in my eyes and I can't quite see? Bear with me, I'm just gonna pull down the blind for a second. Uh, That's for the audio listeners out there, because I like (laughs) to keep things real. Uh, The sun was shining completely in my eyes, and I love to intently listen to what's being said. But what happens with distractions that are around us, especially when we're with a client? And I, I, like that was a distraction for me just then because I intently want to listen to exactly yeah. what you're saying. But how can we can c- control that and just be completely focused in on the client? Because the client is the most important person in the room. Yes. So it's about making sure you have a a clean setup. And I'm glad you said about distractions because when we're talking virtually, we have a lot of control over our environment. And we are definitely at a disadvantage than if we are interacting in person. But the advantage is this control of our environment. So when we have lots of distractions in the background, we have, you know, maybe lots of things moving around or we're really close to the screen or really far back. Mm It is distracting and it doesn't make for a trustworthy environment as such. So we want to make sure we've got a good background. So the focus is on us. There's not lots of noise because that will take away from the conversation. It makes it very difficult to concentrate. And we want to make sure that we are in full sight so that they can have a clear view of our nonverbals. But if there's things like light coming in, we are very aware that those are things we can't necessarily control. And people are very adaptable to that. If you don't necessarily address the noise and it just keeps going on and you keep talking, that can be uncomfortable because in the back of that person's head, they're thinking there's loads of noise. There's all these distractions. What's going on? Or there's this light. If you just say, really sorry, I can't control this. This is going on. Now, I hope this isn't going to affect our conversation. If you'd like to have it another day, 
I'm more than happy to do so, but are you okay with how it sounds now? That pretty much just gets rid of that nagging feeling in the back of their mind, like what's going on and what's all this noise and just fronting it. Mm-hmm. We are in an era where if we are communicating in Zoom, sometimes we just can't control that. And if we are worrying about it, thinking, oh my God, they're going to notice. And they're thinking, oh my God, I noticed this. The interaction is going to be tainted and it's going to be awkward and no one's addressing the elephant in the room. Yeah, yeah. Just front it. And it's the same if you are very anxious. If you are very, very anxious and again, coming out of the pandemic, a lot of people are really struggling with social interactions and you shouldn't take yourself away from them if you're struggling because that's not going to help anybody. Mm. If you find that you really can't control those anxious displays, just say, I'm really sorry, I'm feeling a bit nervous. I'm not feeling too well today. I, you know, I hope you bear with me. And just fronting it helps you feel calm and it helps them feel calm too because now they're like, all these displays I'm seeing, there's now a reason for it. I'm not thinking, what are they trying to hide? Do they not like me? Are they uncomfortable in this interaction? Yeah, I totally understand. And that was quite seamless there, wasn't it? So I really enjoyed that. Um, We we were speaking about before, and I want to bring it back again, uh, the social engineering and how we can be persuasive, influential in a positive manner. Uh, And I always think we've got to be persuasive in uh, using our integrity in the right way. And that's how we build relationships with people. But from your point of view and a behavior point of view, what are the behaviors behind that that make us do it organically and naturally? So, as I said, being very comfortable in your space Um, and things like your orientation and showing active listening and by orientation I mean not being straight on like this because this Mm. is actually quite an uncomfortable place for us to be forward facing Mm -hmm. just slightly turning is a much more comfortable and natural place to interact because in person we don't usually face completely on there is usually a slight tilt Mm -hmm. and the reason that there should be a slight tilt especially with the head tilt so you can kind of see somebody's neck is because our ancestors lived in a a very dangerous time so when we expose the neck and we expose the vulnerable part of our body it shows i'm not a threat to you so when we see someone's head tilt we see someone's neck or slightly to the side it's perceived as less threatening and it's perceived as, you know, more comfortable and more trustworthy. So being relaxed in your own posture, um, sat up straight and not slouching. When we see someone slouching, we see disengagement, but you don't want to be too bold, right? You don't want to be so upright and so sharp in your movement that everything is very false and too structured. You want to be fluid and comfortable And Mm. I think that can really only come with practice. Yeah. Um, But there is something that I always like to try and get in. The importance of education, because how we implement our nonverbals is based on what we learn about what nonverbals to show. Mm -hmm. If we are getting our information from the wrong sources and we are getting them purely from blogs and we're not reading research or we're not listening to the right coaches and we're listening to people that don't necessarily have the expertise that's claimed 
the information that we're then going to practice and implement itself is going to be incorrect. And no matter how much we master something, if that information is insufficient, if we master mm-hmm. it, it doesn't matter because it's not going to have the effect that we want it to have. Yeah. So making sure we get the trustworthy information to then become trustworthy. And there's uh, something I read uh, about the hands. Obviously, uh, we have the hands like that. Uh, but uh, showing the hands, palms up, is that, uh, from what I read, it's a sign of being more trustworthy than having the palms down in yes. a conversation? Yes, so that, that's a great point. And I, I always love to talk about the hands because there's a lot of misunderstandings about the hands. So, again, going back to our ancestors, it was a very, very dangerous time. And there was always a risk of threat from other human beings and from predators. Mm. When we show our palms of our hands, you can see there's no weapons. You can see there's nothing in my hands that can hurt you. So it does send signals to the brain that this person isn't a threat. But that doesn't mean that you have to have your hands like that the whole time and you can't have your hands in any other direction. It just means to be aware that this open palm gesture is very important. So if Mm -hmm. you catch yourself completely talking like this, the whole time just think, just flip slightly. And it's a lot more comfortable. But you don't need to think, oh, God, my hands need to be here the whole time. Because, again, (laughs) that has the complete reverse effect. But the hands are also really important because there's been studies showing that when people are public speaking, the thing we look at the most is actually their hands. And people that are really restrictive with their hands, and, I mean, we hate this. And this gesture of closing the fist is an aggressive gesture and it's perceived as such. And often we're like, you know, we can make our targets and we close the fist, just open the fist up and it's a lot more effective. Um, But there was another study as well showing that if you are very open with your palms, as well as being open with your lower body, so not having your feet close together, having them more wide and pointed out and having the same with your hands, that's perceived as more confident and competent. Tell me this, because I was uh, observing, because uh, I do some work with some, some big organisations. I look around and see people having meetings, sales manager and uh, their, their accounts person. And the, the sales, and it is funny, the sales manager was leaning forward like that. Uh, for the audio listeners, I'm leaning forward, but she was going like that, very like <laughs> that. And the other person was like that, and he was holding up like that. Uh, and for the audio listeners, uh, the salesperson was uh, leaning backwards, but the the sales manager was leaning forward, almost dictatorial. And I didn't know what I didn't hear anything, but it was just quite interesting to actually see it. Yes, that's an over dominance display because it's I'm going to get into your personal space. And it, it does, when you look at it, you think, okay, well, that person is the, the person at the top. That person is at the top of the hierarchy because they control this space. Mm. They are in that other person's space, meaning that they believe that they can encroach on that space, but the other person can't in on theirs. So if they lean forward, that other person moves back. That other person can't move forward. That is very dominant and it is very uncomfortable having someone that close in your space but it makes you aware well that person is at the top we don't want to see that as a leader we want you to make other people feel comfortable in their space that's what it's about it's not you being comfortable in their space 
It's about ensuring they are comfortable in their space. And if you can notice their discomfort, think, am I encroaching on their space? Am I being too bold? Do I need to ask if they need a drink? Do I need to ask if they want to take a pause? And when you start to allow them to be more comfortable, that relationship between you and them is going to help flourish. And that's what's going to get you your sale. That's what's going to get you that promotion. Mm. That's what's going to increase the rapport and positive feelings in that interaction. I love that. Yeah, that's totally. But how do you counteract that? If someone's been um, uh, more dominant than you are, but you're backing off, what would you do to, would you match and mirror that and lean forward with that? And would that pattern interrupt the other person? Or what's the best strategy there? So I would never necessarily say try and then get into their space at the same time, because that is very close to them being a threat display. If yeah. they are being very dominant and you want to match their dominance, it's almost like a standoff. Yeah. I think if someone is making you very uncomfortable, you show with your nonverbals they're making you uncomfortable. If they don't then appeal to that and they don't recognize the signals that you are sending, I think the only thing to then do is just say, you know, please could you step back a little bit? Or I'm just a little bit uncomfortable. And just front it. Again, yeah. there's no no one has any right to get that close in your space and say, you have to now be comfortable with me making you uncomfortable. Yeah, of course. You say to someone, I am a bit uncomfortable. They should step back. And if they don't, that interaction is over anyway, because they don't have any respect for your level of comfort and they don't have any respect for you within that interaction. Yeah. I I noticed that in that particular circumstance, and I, I almost felt like going over there, but uh, it's nothing to do with me. Just say, can I have a conversation with you? So a uh, um, uh, yeah. question I always like to ask, uh, if you were interviewing you, what sort of questions would you ask you? Oh. Oh, that's a difficult one. Um, I would probably ask me um, how to practice. Because I always go over the science and I always talk about the the psychology and the science behind things because that's what I love. And I always forget to mention, okay, well, how do we put this into practice? Because I come from an academic background. So I have to remind myself, okay, well, now I'm within practitioners. They want the applicability. So I always break it down into four steps. Learning which is getting the right information, making sure the source is trustworthy, you are fact-checking, and it's a reliable source of information before you then start implementing that into practice. Mm -hmm. And then it's practice. So you then start practicing on your own, you start practicing with friends and family, but you need to review and get feedback. You need to watch yourself. You need to record yourself and watch yourself because you may feel that you're being really natural and being very authentic. And then you interact with someone or you watch it back and you're like, wow, that was awful. Why did I scratch my head like that? (laughs) Yeah. And you're thinking, well, I need to be bold. And then you watch it back and you're like, why are my hands out here the whole time? (laughs) And then you go back to practice or you go back to learning and say, well, that doesn't actually work. Let's figure out why. And you need to cycle back between this learning practice and review and feedback once you are comfortable with those three stages then implement 
you don't want to be practicing and reviewing and feedback in important meetings. You want to be doing it with friends and family and in recordings of yourself and then implement it into important meetings and presentations. Awesome. I absolutely love that. I've really thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and I know the listeners would and will. Uh, and again, uh, every week we speak to phenomenal people uh, that have that edge that are experts in their field. And I always say is golden nuggets of knowledge is absolutely key. If you can take one piece of advice from this podcast, whatever that might look and feel like that, you can apply today to make yourself better version than you are. I think it's worth its weight in gold. And this is why these conversations are so impactful. So how can people find out more about you, Abby? So you can find out more about me on my website, which is just abbymorano.com or on Twitter, if Twitter stays, <laughs> Abby J. Morono, um, or on LinkedIn, which is just Dr. Abby Morono. Awesome. Look, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. And good luck with the move to sunny old Florida. Yes, thank you very much. I'm looking forward to it. And it's been a pleasure, Jason. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Global Sales Leader Podcast. I'm sure you enjoyed this episode and taking away some wonderful golden nuggets of knowledge. Every week we speak to some phenomenal global experts in the area all around the touch points of sales. Please connect with me if you like my experience to help you enable your team to effectively sell more and to build more revenue in the front line with trust, respect, and authority. Please connect on the usual channels, jcooperjasoncooper.io or my website, which is jasoncooper.io. And please connect with me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and all the other social channels. 